Guan. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Agency Podcast. We have another special episode coming up for you today, and here's Candy Minx to tell you all about it. Yeah, hey, thanks, Eugene. Um, you know, we were in New Orleans about 10 days ago. We went for about four nights, and um, we stayed at a hotel, and in the lobby of the hotel, they had a wonderful restaurant, and it was a featured um, oysters. We hung out there every morning and had breakfast. We had oysters every morning, which is crazy, and a Bloody Mary, because we may have been imbibing the night before, and Bloody Mary helps you get over that. Anyway, so they say. So they say. I don't know if it helps or not, or if it's just a dreadful excuse to do day drinking. Um, anyway, at some point, our friends met a fellow at the bar, and we're talking to him. Stag and I came in late for breakfast or whatever, and um, we met this fellow who I didn't know his name until last week. His name is Adam Horvath, and he is a food blogger. Now, we did know he's a food blogger, and he told us places to go in New Orleans, and he was just a great guy, and I connected with him on Instagram because he gave us our bus his business card, and he's coming on today. Um, Adam and I met in New Orleans. Mostly, you were talking to our friends Jimmy and Serana and my husband. But we met in New Orleans, sitting at an oyster bar, all checking out oysters, and found out Adam was a food blogger. Adam, how did you begin? Hi, guys. Thanks for having me, and I appreciate the invite here. Um, you guys met me at an oyster bar where um, I have – I was on a mental retreat, a mental health retreat for a couple oh. days in New Orleans to yeah. uh, get some inspiration. And uh, that's one of my favorite bars to go to. And uh, – you know, I just I went there for the char grilled oysters, which I suggested to uh, I think your husband, and I think he yeah. liked it. Yeah, he did. And uh, it was an awesome time. It was an awesome time, and that was in the lobby of the like the hotel bar of the Crown Aster, which surprised me. I'd stayed there before and had no idea it was even there. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of my go-to spot. I think it was in my go-to seat at my go-to spot. So that's awesome. Awesome. that's awesome. So you've been to New Orleans a number of times. Yeah, so I went last year for, for kind of the same thing. I started food blogging in 2020. It's a passion thing that I do. And, um, you know, I, I have a regular job that's kind of taxing and uh, mentally especially. So I went to New Orleans pretty cheap. I found a, a bargain spot to go to. And then I liked it so much I went again the next year. My wife and I had gone a few times prior to that. And uh, on, our, on our 40th birthdays, our friends – like five couples went. So it's a great town. It's my favorite food city. Mm. And uh, it's, you know, it's somewhere that I, I suggest everyone go to once in their life. I, I would agree with that for sure. And I, I, as soon as I left, when we met, what, three weeks ago, all I wanted to do was get back on the plane and go back again. I felt like yeah. I hadn't eaten enough. <laughs> I felt like I stayed one day. I spent five nights there and I think I could have done four because, well, I, you guys, I listen to your podcast. I don't, I swear a little bit because I'm from New Jersey, but I don't have to. Should I not? Like, should I keep it? No, we swear. I, I swear. I, I was, I was never, I was never shit faced because I went solo, but I probably was never sober. And I think <laughs> that, you know, I, I ate a lot. So yeah. I was ready. I'm on yeah. a juice cleanse as we speak. Right. Well, that's funny because, uh, I mean, I don't usually, we, we had been drinking a lot when we saw you. In fact, it was, we were drinking in the morning. I will day drinking with oysters it was that was breakfast so i mean it's a great place to do that and we checked out that restaurant you recommended jewel of the south was fantastic so i can't yeah. to go back there again i love that so jewel of the south was nominated or not nominated but it, it won an award it's one of the top 50 best bars in 
the world. Mm, and really? I hope that when you went to eat, you also drank nicely. We did drink very nicely. Thank you. And it was a beautiful environment. And I cannot wait to go back again. Um, I guess now you did say you started in 2020. And it was kind of uh, de-stressing to, to do something of your passion. So had you already been writing notes over the years of food you loved in the, in the world? Had you already been traveling around doing things around your area or what? Yeah. So I'll give you like a real like quick minute update. Okay. I, I grew up in the food industry, kind of paid for my way through college. So from 13, I was bussing tables mm -hmm. to working on the line in a, in a kitchen or a bunch of kitchens to waitering. And um, when it came time to go to college, I, you know, I made that decision to go left instead of going right, mm -hmm. meaning staying in the industry. And I think about it all the time. Now I'm 49 years old, so I have been out of college and I have a professional career for a while, but I still think about it all the time. Mm. So during the pandemic, when the world stopped, I was teasing around prior to that with doing this, uh, like, will trip for food idea where I take my friends and we go and we eat and we just yeah. talk about it. I've always been fascinated with the history of food. So, you know, someone told me I was lacking the confidence of, of writing because I didn't think I would commit to it. I was at a wake mm. and someone took me to the side and said, just do it. And that little spark really mattered and made a difference. So during the pandemic, I said, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to write 10 blogs before I start just to prove I can do it. Oh, that's very started smart. In, very smart. Started, started in April. And then by the time I started posting stuff and created Foodigenous in September, I had about 20 mm. things. And because we really couldn't travel, these were the things where I had photos in my phone or maybe I could run down the street. But, you know, the idea of what I do is I it's called Foodigenous, like indigenous foods. I'm sorry, if it's, I don't mean to bore you, but I look for I look for food that's indigenous to an area. So people know it. It's super popular, but it's little known outside the area. The more local, the better. It's nothing that, you know, other people weren't doing, but it's just something that I've always been fascinated with. Mm -hmm. So, you know, living in New Jersey, we have a lot of those. Yeah. And it was fun to that's, start that. I think that's what I was really charmed by the fact that you're writing about Things that I go and eat, like, you know, I love a fancy, I'm as bougie as the next person for going to a fancy restaurant and trying something different or experimenting. But I love this kind of grassroots neighborhood food you're talking about on your blog. And I do recommend people check it out. It's I appreciate that. Eugene, Eugene, you have one, right? So I know you're from the Toronto area. area That's right, Toronto. Yeah. The, uh, the the ice wine in Ontario, you know, so I'm not ready to go international with this yet, but I definitely, I lived in Buffalo for three years and I remember my parents drinking that and that you can't get that anywhere. So I want to drive up there. I, I shoehorn pop culture references into every story. I keep them short for the younger generation. Um, and I generally have to think of some kind of pop culture reference before I can get started writing something. And it usually happens right away. I haven't thought about that for Ontario ice wine yet though. The, the ice wine is a pretty interesting phenomenon up here. It it requires pretty cold temperatures to be successful. So um, when it starts to, to really chill down, um, the, the people who have the wineries, they're like all on hand waiting for, I think it hits minus 10 Celsius, yeah. something like that. There's a specific temperature that it has to get to in order to do whatever the chemistry is that happens to create the ice wine and then they go on a picking spree to uh, uh to get everything in and then and then process it so you know it's 
it's something that I don't drink ice wine because I just don't really care for sweet wines. Um, and I sort of forgot that it's an Ontario thing. It really is. Yeah, yeah I mean, you know, I, and I think that that's true with a lot of us, right? If we grow up with something, we just take it for granted. Like I grew up mm. with Taylor ham, right? Mm. Taylor ham is a breakfast sandwich meat um, from New Jersey. It was created in the 1860s. And we have this giant debate in our state. Is it pork roll? Is it Taylor ham? It's Taylor ham. But, you know, um, people, you probably don't know what that is. And that's kind of shocking to me when you eat it every day and you assume. So Ontario, you know, ice wine is something that I want to drive. I drive, I'll drive five hours for a slice of pizza, drive home right about, it's kind of silly. Um, but, you know, when I hit Niagara Falls again, I'm going to definitely do that and go to a winery. I have to map it out and figure out that best time, like you're saying, because I want to I want to kind of see it hmm. as well yeah. as drink there, it. I'm pretty sure there are several wineries in Niagara on the lake that make events out of it for their uh, cl clients, customers yeah. uh, to come and enjoy the wine and have meals and, and that kind of thing. So, you know, do a little research. I think you'll find some really nice spots there. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I always do the research and I'll get it, to be honest, it's not always great. You know, I will drive five hours for a slice of pizza or... Um, you guys aren't that far from Rochester. I went for the garbage plate. I don't know if that's something you're aware of. But oh, that's what, cool. what is in the garbage plate? I saw the garbage the plate. Yeah, the garbage plate's been around since the early 1900s, and it's just a pile of food that was created <laughs> to you know during the Depression era. But it really is two hamburgers with a macaroni salad, cold macaroni salad, chili on top, onions. Um, and it's just a blob of food. Now, I went to the place and I don't want to I'll never review a, a spot because I my opinion doesn't matter. I don't want someone not to go because I didn't like it. But I like to go to the original spot and then I like to go where else, you know, the other varieties. And I liked the other varieties better. And um, the thing is, though, everyone there, that's that's their culture. They everyone loves the garbage plate. When I was in Rochester and I was there for two hours, I literally went for a garbage plate, really didn't love it. Went to another garbage plate at the Genesee Brewing Company, had a Genesee cream ale, and I had a delicious garbage plate. It was so good. And then I was telling people, yeah, I just came from the other spot. They're like, no, you have to go on Tuesday because Tuesday is the time to go. And I'm like, oh, okay. I didn't know that. But um, that's what I love doing. Um, it's not always great. It doesn't always taste the best, but the journey is always worth it. And I want to write it in a way that will make that person who reads it want to go. That's my goal. Well, yeah. And I was intrigued because, again, to hear about this very local, most of it's quite local for you so far. And to hear about these quaint dishes that are from a neighborhood, I, I found that a great concept. Um, like, what was the Alec Baldwin of meat? That was a great yeah, so, <laughs> blog thank post, you. too. I, you, so do you guys know what Scrapple is? No, not until I read your blog post. It was disturbing. Let us know yeah. <laughs> again what it was. <laughs> so Scrapple's a, Scrapple's a mush meat. In the United States, we have a few of them. We have in the Cincinnati area. It's called Goetta. And in the, uh, the mid-Atlantic states, so I would say, you know, Philadelphia, Southern Jersey, Maryland, and Delaware, it's called Scrapple. And it's basically just the scraps of meat mm. that were repurposed, gelatined down, and then mixed with either oats in Cincinnati's case or flour in scrapple molded into a meat. Mm. Then it's set, it's cut fried with eggs and, and uh, home fries. And it's a, it's just a breakfast staple. So treated kind of like you might treat spam. Yeah. It's, it's very similar to spam. I would think where I think spam is almost less processed than, you know, mm -hmm. the, uh, the scrapple. I didn't love scrapple. I grew I, up I in South. 
Sorry, I didn't know spam was less processed than anything on Earth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So try Scrapple, and then you'll agree. You'll agree. I, we eat spam growing up. Like I was kind of poor growing up, and we had spam on the menu. And uh, I think I hated it. Yeah, but now the idea, the idea of spam with, uh, you know, because in, in Hawaii, a food indigenous of Hawaii is spam and pineapple pizza. And I'm like, I'll oh, fly yeah. to I'll fly for that. Also in, in Korea, spam is a big deal for your you know, your uh, uh, casual meals around the house, you know, fried rice with Spam, for instance. Yeah, yeah no, I, I, I was pretty, I was working class, bordering on poor growing up, and Spam was like a, a thing. We had it. Yeah. And when I got older and I got into food, I was vegetarian. I was like, I had a Spam shame. And then I found out, I, I, I participated in a Japanese Buddhist temple, and Spam is completely normal. It's like considered a, a food group if you will, and, and brought out all the time. And I kind of had a, you know, a renaissance of spam. Alan yeah, Japanese. Yeah. Shame on me. Shame on me. Yeah. There's a Japanese uh, market in Queens, New York, mm -hmm. that um, is really not that far. I'm in New Jersey. I'm up, you know, I'm probably 15 minutes. I work 15 minutes out of Manhattan. It'll take 45 yeah. minutes to get in there. But, you know, in the neighborhood of Queens, I see these bloggers that are, you know, they're not bloggers, they're influencers and they go there and <laughs> They have the confidence to be on video, which I don't seem to, but they make you this. You should be spam. on video. They, thank you. I, I think I need to drop 20 pounds and then I'll do it. I have no, this you're very photogenic. I will say that to our listeners. This is a very photogenic gentleman who should be on a, doing this, eating and on the camera on Instagram or whatever. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. I look at these guys with the big beards and, and uh -huh. I see the little piece of food on their mouth. I'm like, oh. I don't want to see that. <laughs> no one wants to see that. Well, there's um, opportunities in video, though, I will say. Mm -hmm. I, I follow a couple of um, video bloggers or vloggers uh, who live in Vietnam and uh, and feature all the different foods over there. And uh, a couple of those guys have hundreds of thousands of subscribers and do really pretty well from from ads. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's I, how yeah, they make I, a living. I follow someone like that, too. So here's the... the I'm a CFO of a, of a print distribution company. The title sounds awesome. And it's a really nice job and it's a lot of responsibility. So I've never wanted to make this thing a job. I never wanted to monetize it because wow. if I do, then I'll stress out and I'll treat it the same way my job. And, and I didn't want that. At the same time, mm -hmm. I have a bit of an ego and I want people to read my stuff. Mm -hmm. As the followers and likes become greater, if there's a situation where I can monetize, I'd be silly not to, but I don't want to compromise. This sounds so corny, but I don't want to, I don't want to sell out. Right. Mm -hmm. um, you but, know, I understand that I've had a personal blog for since you could have personal blogs mm -hmm. and I, I've never, it never occurred to me to try to monetize it. I just have, I just share it with, you know, a small circle of friends really. Yeah. You know, yeah. I would love to, I would love to podcast and like you guys. So I listened to a couple of your podcasts just to get the feel of, you know, the, the chemistry and uh, you guys have the chemistry that I want. My, my best friend and I mm -hmm. have talked about podcasting for a while. I think the angle would be food. He's a city kid from Queens who always talks about fist fighting stories. Mm -hmm. I don't know if we can merge those, but <laughs> I like, I like what you guys do and I feel that it's comfortable and I, I wouldn't mind doing it. I don't really know how, mm. you know, so that's something I have to look into. Well, it, it could come to you in a vision. You know, just leave yeah. it. You know, we had a similar that thing happen where somebody said, just do it. And then we went and did it and we found out that we had lots to talk about. <laughs> yeah, how profound was that? 
Yeah. You know, we were we were arguing about art and culture as usual, mm -hmm. and her daughter was there and said something like, Go you, ahead. Two, you two should have a podcast. You're always Talking. debating. Yeah. And so we so looked at each other, and a few <laughs> days later, we had a podcast. <laughs> are you guys just buddies? Are you guys family? We're buddies. What's your, your we buddies? Met, we yeah, met you guys... in art school. Yes, yeah, yeah. We're in the early 80s. And yeah, we're both artists, and we met there, and we've stayed friends since. And he's friends with my with Stag, who you met in. Yes, Stag, yes. Stag. we actually introduced Stag to Candy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that that's awesome. So Stag was a cool guy, and I was talking to him. He's lived, you guys are living in Chicago, and I was yeah. telling him about these local foodigenous, these local in, in, indigenous foods in Chicago that are on my list, and he had no idea. And yeah. that I love that because in a area. As small as Chicago, right? Chicago is a big city, but you know, each different neighborhood, they have these foods. It's not like one restaurant that makes mm -hmm. something. It's one restaurant that made something that was so good that other restaurants copied it. And now in that neighborhood, everyone knows it. But if you go three three blocks down the street, no one knows it. It's so interesting, There's, right? It's so much a city of neighborhoods. Yeah, it's crazy. When, when we first uh, met Stag in the in the nineties, he wanted to take uh, my wife and I out for deep dish pizza. And it yes. wasn't one of the places in the loop. It was this place way up on the <laughs> north side. And you go in there and it's filled with Gulliver's. like antique furniture yeah. and chandeliers. <laughs> and it looks like it's right out of about 1964. Yeah. Uh, but it was the whole, the culture of it, the, the feel of the whole place was part of the experience. You know, mm -hmm. it was as good as the pizza. I say that. I mean, I went to the uh, I went to the original or Pizzeria Uno or the Pizzeria Duo yep. in yes. Chicago, right? Yeah, and uh, I had pizzeria in Paramus, New Jersey. That, uh -huh. That's at Pizzeria Uno. It's not the same. Even if it oh. tastes the same, it tastes better where it was invented. I believe that, you know. Oh, yeah. And um, so we were tricked. Another, I call it drinkigenous. I'm trying to hold this this ignorance <laughs> thing. But when we were in Pizzeria Uno, we had this really great waitress, and she kind of conned us into trying Malort. Candy, oh, do you know yeah. what Malort is? I sure do. I've tried it once. Yeah. So I just did one shot. It is a medicinal botanical alcohol created in chicago it's like the evil jägermeister even though jägermeister is kind of evil too exactly and when she suggested that we try something local the six of us jumped at it and we yeah one by one and we're making these like orgasm faces but not in a good <laughs> way and yeah. uh, it was it was horrible but then afterward it was like we were initiated into the crew uh -huh. we went through a rite of passage of being from chicago and it was awesome and i wrote yeah. about that too so that's a yeah. uh, I love that stuff. And each yeah. city, each little town has those things. And it's fun to find out about them. It is. I, and, you know, the other thing that made I was thinking when I was reading your your blog was how much there's so many foods now that are like considered mainstream that started that way. And you're almost bringing the attention to things that potentially could become to other cities. It's like it's like watching Nirvana at a dive <laughs> bar in Seattle before yeah. they blow up right yeah. and it's like am exactly. we gonna find one that's gonna blow up or why isn't this food blowing up the speedy which is a um skewered grilled meat in binghamton new york which everyone in binghamton and the three or four areas around there they know it they've known it for a hundred years yeah. it's probably the best thing that i ate this year as far as a foodigenous maybe the oysters that i had uh -huh. um, but why did that not make it but the buffalo wing is in singapore you know like it just doesn't mm -hmm. make any sense to me mm -hmm. and i love it yeah interesting 
Yeah. So of all the places that you've gone to uh, research for your blog, what's the best food you've eaten? That's a great question. So my favorite thing is pizza in general. And before I started writing the blog, I wanted to go to New Haven, Connecticut, because they made this clam, white clam pizza. Mm. So I would say out of all of the indigenous foods, all the food indigenous, mm -hmm. uh, my favorite thing is Taylor ham, which I grew up with. But the favorite thing that I went for was the uh, Frank Pepe's clam pizza. Um, I like that. The favorite thing I ate this year was either the char-grilled oysters that I just had it wasn't candy. It wasn't where we went. I went to where they invented it. Um, I had, I had, I think you guys had them too. I we oh. had the char grill, which was just yep. you know a little bit of butter and yep. no breadcrumb, but it, yeah, Parmesan cheese and uh, it's delicious. I've been going to that bar multiple times. I went to the three around it, Acme and Felix, all great, but I didn't write about it because I didn't have the original one, which was at Drago's, which is you know probably a mile down the street. And when I had it it was that much better. It was wow. incredibly better. So mm -hmm. that's my favorite this year. Wow. And then I still got a couple planned for the year. So who knows? Okay. You know, what's funny is that you mentioned Stamford, Connecticut yeah. on, your, on your blog. And I've been there. I've spent a fair amount of time in that region because one of my old other college buddies lives in Norwalk. And so yeah. I'm often driving around, but I have not heard of that hot oil pizza. And I, I'm going to have to try it next time I'm, I'm in Connecticut. If you, you like have a, a favorite food that you've experienced at a restaurant. Oh God, maybe, maybe so many, but the recent one is I had never been to Napoleon house and I had the jambalaya there. Like, yeah. like the day after. And I was like, that's what drove me to want to go back immediately yeah. after i got back to chicago i was like i've made a mistake we should have stayed another few days and eaten at the napoleon house every day and in fact we went to antoine's and they changed their menu slightly they've seasonalized it and i was slightly disappointed it was you guys were going to antoine's the night that i saw you Correct. now did you guys have the um the oysters rockefeller we yes Is, we did we did so and, was it all that was it that was it yeah all that? i've had it before um they they weren't, um, Jimmy and Serrano weren't as excited as I was, but I have had a, their, their um, Rockefeller there before. And we had charbroiled broiled with the Parmesan. And I thought theirs was very good that night. It so had I, a lot I, more Parmesan taste on it. Which I've yet to go to Antoine. I was going to eat Parmesan and an oyster. I think you were nuts, but it was very good. <laughs> yeah, I grew up like in an Italian family or, you know, especially hmm. in a restaurant. You're not supposed to mix cheese what? and fish and i know uh, i would say it, it's very i'm from vancouver island and never in my life did anybody ever butter yes but not cheese yeah. not cheese yeah, but i that's all i think about now i want to go back just for those oysters you know yeah. I, I, I i totally disagree i think that's yeah. what's great about food too right it's all subjective yeah and also when you are traveling sometimes you have been released from the tyranny of your home and you're yeah. a little more free. You're a little bit more like desperate or lonely or hungry or something. And you might try something different. I mean, I always wear weird clothes when I travel just because no one sees me here. <laughs> I, think, I think my favorite food experience, mm. and it's the I'm talking about the experience as much as the food, okay. was yeah, in Hanoi, Vietnam, in an alley known as Barbecue Chicken Street. And when you approach mm. this street, you know you found it because barbecue chicken smoke is billowing out of this alley and you go down you walk down this alley and there's five or six establishments 
that have these insane 15 foot long barbecues mm -hmm. and they're they're barbecuing chicken feet and wings and drumsticks skewered on bamboo skewers so they can turn 10 of them at once. Mm -hmm. um, and when you sit down, they bring out this board with pictures of all the stuff that they serve because they don't speak any English. And you just point at what you want and say, how many? Mm -hmm. And yeah. uh, they bring out a bucket of of ice cold beer and they just charge you for however many you drink. Mm -hmm. um, and they they bring these things off the barbecue and they put them on your plate with the bamboo skewers. And just when you're you're trying to figure out how am I going to deal with this, grandpa comes along mm -hmm. and he's got a cigarette hanging out of his mouth, a lit cigarette, and he's got a pair of scissors that are about 15 inches long. <laughs> and he comes along and he pulls the skewers out for you and he cuts your chicken into pieces and you get it with they they base uh, a banh mi a bread with um with a honey barbecue sauce and they grill that too until it gets crispy and the whole experience of just munching on this incredible barbecue chicken mm. and everything is smoky and you're drinking beer and hardly anyone is speaking any mm. english was just a transformative kind of experience for me mm. I guarantee you that would be one of my top five experiences. If I could relay my messages, my stories, the way you just told me that story, and, and I get the same reaction as I feel from my followers, like that's what I want to do. Because yeah. now all I want to do is eat chicken feet in Hanoi. You know, <laughs> hey, if you ever go, I'll point you to the right spot. I will absolutely ask. I My favorite, um, I, it's hard to say favorite, even though I ask everyone their favorites. Yeah. Top five, though, that I've ever had experience was San Sebastian, Spain. It's the Basque region. It's super, you know, populated with a lot of Michelin star restaurants, but they're known for their pinchos, which are basically tapas. And they have this old style, they have this old town. It's beautiful. It's awesome. It's on the water. It's the northern, you know, the northern part of Spain. So it's on the colder Atlantic, but it's just stunning. There's a statue of Jesus overlooking everything. And what you do every night, you I think it's five o'clock, you go down and you grab a glass of wine. You go to the Pincho bar where instead of people sitting in front of a bar, they just have appetizers out with little oh. toothpicks. You eat what you want. You count up the toothpicks at the end. Nice. You don't eat you don't eat too many because you go to the next one, do the same thing, and then you do it 10 times and you're pretty shit-faced, but you're full and it's some of the best food you've ever eaten in your life. And wow. and that is amazing. I think everyone – listen, finances, I get it. But if everyone has a chance to travel outside their area, yeah, eat with the place entirely eat. new. Mm -hmm. Yeah, eat what the locals eat. At least – even if you're picky, try it. Yeah, you know, I it, agree. It's, just, it's a game changer. I agree. And you'll see everything differently. Yeah, you know, no, I, I when, agree. When, when I went to uh, to Vietnam, before we went, a friend said, whatever you do, don't drink the snake wine. <laughs> That's and, intriguing. And at some did, point... Did you drink it? Did you drink well, it? Well, we were in this place that was making handmade coconut candies. And in yeah. the back of this little candy factory, there was this demijohn filled with liquid with pythons curled up <laughs> in the bottom of it. So and and buddy from the place said, would you like to try a shot? And all I could think of was, whatever you do, don't drink the snake wine. So I didn't have any, but the people we were with sampled some yeah. and they were okay. I suspect my friend may have had too much of the snake wine. Uh, it, yeah, yeah. I think you, you have like to try the snake wine. 
you have to try the snake wine. But uh, do you guys have any specific spots that you've never been to in your life that you that you want to go to? Like that's on the top of your list. Great question. Like for just travel or for food specifically? I would say for travel and the food will lend itself. Like, is there, cause mine is like Venice. I've never been to Venice. We, my wife and I planned to go in 2020 and then the pandemic hit. I actually, the reason I flew to New Orleans is because I had to use our airfare, which was credited and it expired three years later, but mine's Venice and I want to drink tea in Morocco. Do you guys have anything like that? Well, I, I think I do. I mean, we happen to be going to Europe in January and February and one of the places we're going to go is Venice. And I have been to Italy before and Paris. One of my most profound food experiences was I was a young teenager. I was about 15 and I went on a school trip to Paris. And they put us in this boys dormitory. The boys were gone for the like Easter or something. So they put us into these, this dormitory. And when we woke up, we sat at these great long tables and we had huge bowls of milk and coffee with fresh bread and butter. And my mind was blown uh, completely like it. It was just bread and coffee and milk and butter. And I felt like I'd never eaten any, anything like that. <laughs> it was so rudimentary. So I'd also been to um, to Rome before, but I was also a, a young person then. So I'm looking forward to going with what I know about the American-Italian experience. All the, I work at an Italian-American bar in Chicago. Now I'm like, I cannot wait to get to the, you know, the mother load. I know you're going for your you're going for your your document documentary, right? A doc, yes, is that, I'm doing an interview right? in the UK uh, with someone I know from online for a long time, but we've just extended the trip to make a couple of stops in Paris and Rome, Italy, and so, Venice for sure. So I want to not that I want to die, but when I die, I want to die in Positano, and Positano is on the Amalfi Coast. Okay. And if it is somewhere where you can sneak in, um, I would do it. I saw. Okay. I saw a photo in a National Geographic magazine when I was like 12 years old. I opened it up and it was this picture of a of Positano with all the hotels and houses on the cliff overlooking mm. the beautiful water. Mm. And when I went there um, and my wife and I you know, checked in, I opened up the doors and I saw that same thing that I saw as the 12 year old. And it just blew my mind. Like I'm finally seeing what I you know, saw 40 years earlier. Right. And uh, it's definitely something that if you can see it, see it. The the food is awesome. The people are fresh. It's like, I think it's like an hour and a half from Rome. Yeah. Okay. Positano. I'll have to write that down. I wonder if it's a place I'm thinking of that I saw in a film one time. I've also always wanted to do, um, what I've wanted to do is um, there's, uh, it's called The Way. And it's, um, it's a pilgrimage from Spain into France or France into Spain. And I saw that too. Yeah. I want to do that, that. Have you done that? No, but I saw a movie with like the Estevezes, Emilio uh, Estevez. That's the and... first time I heard about it was that movie. I'd never heard of it before. And I thought that movie was fantastic. But um, it does. Movie. It, but it, yeah, it was awesome. It was awesome. But you eat and you stay at places, pensions and people's houses along this pe- pilgrimage. There's one on the Portuguese islands. I want well. to do that. Our, our, really our friend Frank has done that several times. I think that is so fascinating. You know? Yeah, I, that's on my list too. I mean, as I want to eat, I associate so weird. I've never skied, although New Jersey, we can ski. We can go to the Jersey <laughs> store. I've never skied, but when I associate skiing and people make fun of me, I always associate it with eating fondue. And I don't know oh, yeah. why that is. I assume like the Swiss Alps, because no one eats fondue here in Vermont. They make fun of me. But um, 
I want to eat fondue after a day of skiing or snowshoeing. Like I in think that would be a perfect food for that because well, I love fondue. I have fondue pots. And my husband and I, we forget we have it. Every now and then we remember it. We're like, dig out the fondue pots. But um, I love fondue and raclette. And that does suit all those carbs and cheese would be perfect after skiing. Yeah, and that's like a fun thing to do with a group of people. It is. I kind of... I also want to do like certain festivals. I, it might be cliche, I guess, to, to go to Germany for Oktoberfest. <laughs> oh, um, that'd be great. I, I want to try that. Yeah. You know, I I want to go to Beaujolais, France. Oh, yeah. For the Beaujolais Nouveau, you know, Wednesday, 1201, when they pop open the casks <laughs> and drink it. I, I, I That's what I want to do. Now, if I can do something with this blog that affords me the ability to just do a trip a year, that would be awesome. Do that it with some awesome. friends. That would be I'd incredible. Be, little guilt-free cool, money bro. for travel. Yeah, right? would be great. Little pocket I mean, money. Now, is your wife also a foodie? May I ask such a personal question? You can ask any question. So my wife and I, we've known each other for 27 years. We're married for 21. Hmm. Um, she was a foodie. Uh, she's a vegan now, so I'm going to say no. But it allows oh. me to eat some. <laughs> yeah, it allows me to eat some things that you know are, are new, new to me. Yeah. But no, I think I'm the foodie, and I've become the the guy in the group of friends that I hang out with. That you know, people ask, "Hey, where should we go? What, what do right. we do?" And I like, right. I like them. Well, there's a great. There's some really good vegan restaurants out there. You must be going to them to get inspiration with your wife, I'm sure. Yeah, um, you know. Awesome so has one called Frisson. You know, we used to have, uh, there was a small takeout vegan place in Mississauga, which is one of our western suburbs in Toronto, that it just looks like nothing at all. <laughs> and the food was tremendously good. Yeah. I never had any idea what I was eating, right. except that I knew it was vegetable product of right. some variety, but disguised in all kinds of remarkably creative ways. You know, yeah, really no. interesting textures and flavors. Yeah. Uh, I used to eat there fairly, it was near where I worked, so I used to get food there fairly regularly. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think they're long gone now. Yeah. They're ancient uh, Mississauga history. Oh, yeah, it's good. I mean, I, I eat a lot of, or I sample a lot of things. Like I love cheese, so the idea of giving up cheese. Right. You know, I have a cat, so I want to be uh, ethically right to animals. But I don't think I'm going to stop eating them. But I'll stop <laughs> eating the ones that are, you know, hurt before I eat them, which sounds crazy, right? right? Um, Meanwhile, your I cat have, can't be a vegan. My cat is not a vegan, and my cat is super handsome. If you ever see him, I post him like my mascot. I like to uh, just throw that out there. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate it. it is for it is what it is, but I love food too much, and uh, you know, I think I love cheese too much. Cheese for me too. I could pro I could stop eating meat, but I don't think I could stop eating cheese. I couldn't stop eating cheese either. I mean, yeah, pizza. Yeah, pizza. Pizza. Right then and there, pizza. Pizza's, pizza's my absolute favorite. I, I'm going to ask you a question. If we were hanging out, I would ask you, what are your two favorite toppings on a pizza? Give me the combo. Bacon and pepperoni. <laughs> well, I love that. Eugene? Uh, pepperoni and hot peppers. Oh, yeah, that's good. Hot chilies. Mine's pepperoni and onion or pepperoni and garlic, but I think we all said pepperoni. So yeah, and pepperoni and onion is an incredible combo. That is and there's also there's, there's pepperoni. There's pepperoni, and then there's pepperoni. I mean, <laughs> yeah. there's a lot of variety there. Yeah. We I like, I like about, all three. Yeah, we were talking about how people want that pepperoni that curls up and holds all the oil, that that's like a whole thing on pizza right now in Chicago. I don't know if it's where you are, but. 
Yeah, so Prince Street Pizza in New York, um, they have this incredible Sicilian pizza that, that kind of cups up. Yes. And it's got the filled yeah, oil. But I, I'll, I'll tell you one thing, and it's one of my top five food memories. And I, I'll never – I'm a super nostalgic person. I think it's probably not a great thing. I think about the past and all that stuff. So if something's great, I try not to re-eat it. I try, I try not to eat it again for fear that it won't live up. But mm. my favorite – one of my top five favorite food experiences, the restaurant I wound up working at – before I started working there when I was 10 years old, I used to mm. mow lawns so I can get money to take my mom out for pizza. Wow. And I would feed her to get this pizza. It was the only, it's still the only pizza place I've ever gone to. They stopped doing it because it got too expensive. They would they would hand cut their pepperoni. So it wasn't yeah. it wasn't cut. It was long what? strings and with curls. And the oil that would drip off mm. of that slice onto my hand that I would probably oh. eat. Yeah. That, I, I, yeah. yeah, I'm with you on that too. Well, Adam, you'll like this. When I was little, my father was in college in Winnipeg, Manitoba, and he had to get a job, right, to work on weekends, and it was in a pizza joint. I thought it was the greatest thing that ever happened to our family because, of course, he had a trickle-down pizza. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I, just thought, I was like, Dad, why wouldn't you just do this forever? Winnipeg, the food capital of Canada. <laughs> not. Probably not. <laughs> I shouldn't say bad things, but Winnipeg. I know. I love Winnipeg. I'm happy to They actually, there. they used to have a really interesting diner in, in Winnipeg called mm. Kalekas's, and it was a 1950s-style diner done all oh, absolutely straight up with, like, the orange Naugahyde booths and, and stools and... Um, the formica counters that were in like different shapes so that the people serving and cooking inside um, could like deliver the food to, to everybody around. Mm. It was really quite a, quite a place. Although I don't often think of Winnipeg and food in the same way. <laughs> I think of Winnipeg in winter of... and Winnipeg in the world's biggest mosquitoes. Right. I don't think of Canada and diners, to be honest with you. Oh, um, we have diners. Yeah, Many I don't think diners. about that. Many, many, many diners, just like in the states, um, they're they've died out though. They're yes. harder to find. We, we now. just lost in the last year. We lost uh, Mars. Really, yeah, a historic diner in Toronto. Um, it's just been there. We've kind of taken it for granted because it's been there forever. It's called Mars, or was called Mars, and on the sign it said, "It's out of this world." <laughs> oh, that's awesome. And, that and the place couldn't have been more than about ten or eleven feet wide, and it was really, really long. Yeah, and the along one. The left wall when you go in is Buddy does all the short order cooking, and um, and then there's people sit along sort of along the counter, and then in a whole bunch of booths going all the yeah. way all the way yeah. back. And it was really a fabulous breakfast joint in and, in west side of Toronto for years and, and years. maybe 24 hours at one point. It was yeah. pretty late because you could go out drinking and get bacon and eggs in the middle of the night. Yes, and we also had yeah. Franz, which was a, another diner type place that was open all yeah. night. And there was a place when I first moved here called Empire Grill. You would have come with me. I lived at Spadina and the Junction. I think you would have come with me. Anyway, it was fantastic, but it, it's all long gone. And it had the red, glittery, plastic vinyl seating, you know, but no, long gone. I think the pandemic killed that for us. So New Jersey, we're like the capital, the, we're like the diner capital of the world, right? That, no, that, might, that. Be my, that might be my Jersey arrogance saying that, but... <laughs> 
you know, it's true. Like it's a true cultural thing that after drinking or, you know, even when I was in high school, we weren't drinking. The late night spot was always the diner and it was always the 24 hour diner or the diner that closed at four. I don't think there's a 24 hour diner since the pandemic. I think everything closes at 12 o'clock now. And uh, the 24 hour thing, it really does. It stinks because Mm -hmm. listen, I think I'm too old to probably go to a diner at three o'clock in the morning every week. But, uh, <laughs> you I, I want to, if you yeah. want to, you want to go. Yeah. I want the option, yeah. right? Yeah. Do, do you guys have uh, egg creams in Jersey? So, um, we don't, thing? it's a, it's a, it's a Brooklyn thing. It's a Coney Island thing. Uh, I've had them that uh, they don't have anything in New Jersey like that. I think there's one spot we might have that does that, but have you ever had? An egg I've cream? never had one. I just know it from Lou Reed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've yeah. always wondered what they were like. <laughs> it's, I would say it's definitely worth getting, especially because of the the song references. But the uh, yeah, it's there's no egg, there's no cream. You know, it's uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's cool though. Still in New Jersey, the Stewart's Drive-In with root beer and burgers. So there's like two left, I think, and there was okay. one that there one there was one like four or five towns down the street, and that closed recently. Okay. I grew up in a town that had a drive-in, mm-hmm. um, and I would go. I would get a dollar. I never went with the car because I was little. We would go and mm-hmm. sit on the picnic table on the side, but I would have a dollar hamburger and a dollar hot dog, and I would have oh. like a three dollar milkshake. And for five dollars, I was living like a king, yeah. and that would be yeah. my my lawn mowing money. <laughs> It's interesting that it's that childhood memories for us too of um, being foodies. My sister and I used to play cooking show, like, oh, right. <laughs> and in fact, my sister's also a foodie and quite an accomplished cook and historian of food. So, I mean, have her follow the uh, blog. Have her follow the blog and tell I me what she did. I will for sure. I will for sure. I was sending her pictures of me trying to make my sauce and everything, but. Uh, oh. Yes. Yesterday. You you see, I have an uncle. I had an uncle who was, among other things, uh, uh, a classically trained French chef, a piano prodigy and a spy. Uh, Is that real? That's awesome. Yeah. He was an honest to God spy in France um, after World War Two. I don't know how it how he managed to get from here mm-hmm. in a working class Toronto family. Well, I know it had to do with the fact that he was a piano mm-hmm. prodigy. That was the start of that. But he wrote a cookbook in the early 70s called Haute Cuisine Without Help. And the first recipe in it uh, is for his basic sauce. And Candy decided she was going to make the basic sauce. Yeah. So she did shows I, up. Did I decide? <laughs> she shows up with bags, bags of bones. Yeah. She fills our refrigerator with bones. <laughs> and all yesterday, there was vats of liquid gurgling away on the stove, right, filled with right. bones and produce and stuff, which she was cooking down. And then today, she had this mysterious clarification process, process yeah. in which she put after you chill the the you take all the bones and vegetables out that you put in it you have to take them out put it in the fridge and all the fat goes to the top right and then and you peel the, it off the peel off the yeah. fat yeah. Uh, what do you then, do with the what do you do with that fat i threw it out i just want to jump in i want to say one thing because i want to hear the end of this but when i was in college yeah this, this kind of disgusted me my roommate sorry roommate sorry don he yeah. would open a dinty moore stew can mm-hmm. and that khalil that congealed fat 
-hmm. he would eat it with a spoon, which I imagine is what you were talking about. And he said it was delicious, so it was probably awesome. I'm sure it was yummy. I'm sure it was yummy. Power slammed those arteries shut. Also, when you're really (laughs) hungry or you're depleted, sometimes you will eat food that you're just desperately trying to get. It's unconscious. You want those calories. But, I mean, it looked good. It was very bright orange, oddly. It was a very bright fluorescent orange color, which was weird. Probably from the tomato paste. I put tomato paste in it. The recipe called for tomato paste. And um, peeled that off. And then it had this weird clarifying process where you put in egg whites, three egg whites, and the shells of the eggs. And so all I could think about was that my grandmother put um, eggshells in her coffee to take away the bitterness. She would always brew coffee with eggshells. But we looked it up. And the egg whites form a raft. And the shells (laughs) bolster the raft to, to make the whole thing together. And... That attracts all the little particles mm-hmm. that's within this sauce that mm-hmm. she's been cooking down all day. And they all attach. It's really remarkable to watch it. Yeah. It's like a magnet. They're attached to this yeah. raft. And then you take all the particles out with the raft. With a seed. Yeah. Right. Right. And and then you pour it through a tea towel to <laughs> and you have this clarified jelly-like sauce. And you heat it up and you can cook anything with it. It sounds, yeah, like it, sounds like it sounds like MacGyver created that sauce. It, that that, it was very much awesome. a MacGyvering, and I do feel I have mastered French cooking now. <laughs> so was it was it delicious? It's pretty tasty. We have we put some on a meatloaf, but we haven't even used it yet, really. I, I did taste it. It was delicious, but it's such a base, it's almost tastes like consomme. It's a very yeah. It's, and, and it had two cloves in it, which was unusual. You put the clove into the onion. And I'm not a clove person, but I think it gave you, it a kind of another depth. A depth to flavor. Yeah. So so right right cool. now, our freezer is filled <laughs> with little containers of this basic sauce, all ready for me to cook with. Adam, if I could, I'd send it to you. I'd or something. <laughs> yeah, honestly, that, that sounds delicious. Like, I immediately think French onion soup. Yes. That, you know, oh, I make a killer and, French onion she soup. She does. It's, it's incredible. And it's an all-day French onion It is all-day, and I actually got a shortcut from, what's that kitchen? It's a cooking thing, America's Test Kitchen on PBS. Yeah. They had a thing where they could shave off a couple of hours because <laughs> it takes all day to make this. You turn the onions into sludge, like yeah. sludge. They are blackened and brown and just gooey, and you just fry them with a quarter cup of a water over and over again all day anyway it is a really good it's french really onion good soup. soup but this is love... a cousin it's a cousin to it yeah french onion top five favorite soup of mine i would have to say yeah i, I definitely put that also with wonton wontons up there wontons up there adam you'll like this did i always thought french cooking was kind of old and everything but apparently it came from italy i did not know What's that, that? I, I did know not either. know that. but i follow this woman who's quite a fascinating um food historian on Instagram. I'll have to send you a link. And I'm hoping she will interview me on my documentary too, but or I will interview her on the documentary. But anyway, she um, has the argument that French cooking actually came from Italy. And uh, it's pretty interesting. And her other argument is that all the Italian stereotype cooking we think of is actually from the 50s. It was like a media, a media blitz to uh, in the because they didn't have wheat for pasta. When Mussolini, yeah. Mussolini had, um, you know, had so many problems, they really weren't eating. Yeah, he was a fascist. He, he was a fascist. Where was that? He was a fascist. <laughs> and so there was a wheat dirge in Italy. There was like a, a vacuum of wheat, like a food desert of pasta 
in um, Italy, if you will. So um, I'm going to send you a link of her page. I think you'll really in yeah, I would definitely like that. I, I was always told Marco Polo brought over the noodles, so oh. I'd like to, I'd like to, see, I'd like to see that. I, I mean, listen, I love Italian food. I'd love French cooking as well. You see the new Julia Child movie that's out? Absolutely, being Julia. I have yet to, I have yet to watch it. Of the series on the series. HBO. Yeah. Yeah. The series, yeah. Yes, yeah. we've both movie. watched it. Yeah, I it's good. It. It's very. Good. I gotta check it out. I gotta check it out. Yeah, it's very sweet. It's a feel-good show. It's yeah. it's not going to be blowing your mind, but it's a real good feel good show. Yeah, and if you it's throw not a little food, now. yeah, <laughs> <The horror. laughs> If you throw a little food in anything, though, it makes everything better to watch. So, hey, do you have a favorite food movies? Uh, that's a great a great question. I really liked the Chef with John Favreau. Me too, and I had... was thinking that when I asked you. I mean, that literally made me want to. Yes. That made me want to quit my job and open a food oh, truck. Oh, oh, totally. Have you seen Chef? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And then Babette's Feast. Have you ever seen that, Eugene said? No. What was that? Danish woman who decides to cook a feast for everyone. Yeah. And it's just the whole thing is the preparation of this ridiculous feast. <laughs> no. I, I, big I, Night. Oh, Big Night. Another good food. Have you movie. seen that? Yeah. Which one? Big, big Night. No. Um, John Turturro. Is that right? No, I have to watch it. I watched the menu last year, which was a kind of a crappy movie, but the uh, the food prep made me really interested <laughs> in yeah. the whole thing. Did you I watch the bear? Real... No, I feel oh. like I and I watch I watch movies out the yin yang. I feel like I gotta I gotta get caught up on my food well, movies. Oh, you need to find the bear. Yeah, it's a. It's oh wait, the bear. It, wait, you you said the bear? Yeah, I've watched the bear. We talked about the bear actually. There you go. In, uh, in New Orleans, yeah, the the bear is awesome. That that Christmas episode yes. was the I was so anxious watching that, but it was so yeah. awesome. It was so yeah. great. It, it was so anxious. There were people there who reminded me of my family. I found it very hard to watch. <laughs> yeah, no, one hundred percent. I think I think that's what it did. It hit on every. There were so many cameos that everyone yeah. was like someone's cousin at some yeah. horrible Christmas event in our yeah. life. Yeah, and three words: Jamie Lee Curtis. I mean, amazing. Yeah, there's that. Yeah, she was great. And that was, and of all the, you know, I've worked in restaurants a lot and the, the stress in the kitchen, I've never worked mm -hmm. at a high end like that, but the stress in the kitchen, it really prepared me for what I'm doing now. And uh, <laughs> I, I feel, honestly, I feel that it capulate, I mean, it captured it so well. Yeah. That, that, that episode, yeah. I can't wait for season three. Yeah. I think when you've had your, the kind of experience you've had in the kitchen is I think if you can get through that, you kind of can do, it, it gives you a lot of skills maybe that you wish you hadn't earned, but you have them. Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, it's almost like, uh, it's like serving in the military. Everyone yeah. should work two years in a restaurant to you know get through life. It'll make yeah. them a stronger person. Yeah. What's the culture when you were a line cook? Was the was the the culture like what we read about in Kitchen Confidential? Yeah, it, it was actually. Yeah, and Kitchen Confidential was a great, you know, I would say reading that really made me feel like yeah, that's kind of what I experienced growing up uh, in the kitchens as well. Not all of them, but some of them, mm. you know, the, the the type of people that he wrote about, and yeah. uh, for sure, I read this really great book called. Uh, I'm kind of like segueing, but I, I read this really good book called um, Provence. Oh. It was it was about a I'll send you the link. It was a yeah. story of Julia Child and James Beard and one other person spending time in Provence cooking. And oh. it was that sounds good. 
Yeah, it was phenomenal. I might be saying the wrong title or might have been Provence with a date, but I will send you that link and you have to look at it. It really did make me want to go to Provence and just mm -hmm. eat for, you know, a season. Yes, yes. Yeah, definitely. I, um, I really appreciate you guys reaching out and uh, I will definitely, you know, go through more of your episodes. I saw something and I couldn't hear it all, but I'm a huge Indiana Jones fan. So and uh, I, in my bio for Foodigenous, I say yes. I am the, uh, I am the offspring of, you know, my grandma's chicken paprikash in Indiana Jones movies. <laughs> did you, did you like the Indiana Jones movie that came out this year? I saw you guys mention it. I loved it. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I, liked I it really lot. loved yeah. it. I thought it was fantastic, and I am a huge fan. I even watched the TV show. And I'm not a fan. <laughs> He's not a fan. And I oh. loved it. I was surprised. He's... Yeah. How were you about it? I loved it, too. He's my favorite uh, fictional character. So it's Indiana Jones, my favorite fictional character. And I was afraid that it was it was, like, it was a little corny, but it really was no cornier than, yeah. you know, the, the middle one, the Temple of Doom. I didn't really like the, the fourth one that much but I, thought was, I actually enjoyed it but i do know a lot of people did not enjoy it but i did enjoy it with shia labeef I, and everything i, I i'm it. kind of a fan of cranky old harrison ford i think yeah. right now he's doing fantastic yeah. work like that uh the shrinking. Way, the shrinking he's fantastic in that yeah he is fantastic you think he's gonna take over uh betty white yeah, as yeah. like the, the yeah. old person icon <laughs> maybe i, I feel like take over. yeah that's a great insight that's a good one Somebody has to move into that role. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's a void right now. I feel like Henry Winkler is trying for it he's as well. Bad. I love him too. Um, yeah. He's great. Yeah. But this is, we're talking about food and we're talking about movies and that's exactly what I, I try and write about. There, I merge my passions. I, I frequently, like I said, I can't start something if I don't have some kind of pop culture reference. So I'm going to tell you the a story that I want to write. I've yet to write. <laughs> In in uh, Western Pennsylvania, I immediately thought of weird science. In <laughs> Western Pennsylvania, there were two guys in the 1980s who worked in neighboring uh, towns. They each ran a pizza place, and they just for fun wanted to create something that was like the Chicago deep dish. So they got together one night, and I imagine it with like bras on their head. <laughs> they they summoned up this pizza that was really just a regular pizza with another dough on top of it. <laughs> with tomato sauce on top of that, and they baked it. And it's called the Monongahela Valley Red Top or Mon Red Top. Oh. And this was something that they just sold at their respective pizzerias in two separate towns. And 20, 30 years later now, it's in like 10 different pizzerias and they copied it, but oh. nobody knows about it oh. outside of that area. So that to me, I want to take a trip there. I'm going to mention weird science because that's all I think about. And uh, when I hear that, right. and that that to me is like an awesome food indigenous. These guys just wanted to create something that people yes, would come to, and yeah. they did it. So that's very cool. Why don't we invent yeah. some food? I have a food yeah. mission for you, <laughs> a food indigenous food mission for you. I accept. Go to the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Yes, for the berries. Drive across the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, and you will see roadside pasty stands. Yeah, that's on my that's on my that's on my wish list. I there you go. I know about that. Yeah, I I know about that. I was just talking to someone down in New Orleans who was from uh, Upper Upper Peninsula, and uh, oh, that is on my absolute list. There, I mean, it's some are better than others, but they're all good. 
they're all good. And the experience, like I want to do a, I want to do a tour. I'm going to do a, what is, is it? Pasty or Patsy? Pasty? Oh, well, that's a good question. I don't know what's correct. Well, either one, I'm going to do a tour know. of that. I always thought it was pasty, but it may be because of Tom Waits, you know, <laughs> pasty in a G-string bottle full of rope. <laughs> or it could be so you, pasty, yeah. You guys have a lot of references to music, right? So would we you did. say that music is, is, is to you what movies are to me? Like, would you... Well, probably movies are to me also like we that. love movies too. We but, love movies too, but, but we're both music lovers yeah. for sure. And we have very different. We have crossover, but we do li listen to a lot of I, really I different things. Yeah, more popular music and when when you when you radio. when the pandemic came and you started your food blogging project, I had this idea that I would learn to play fiddle, which you're it. supposed to start learning at age six. But I got mixed up, and I started at sixty. I lost the digit. That's awesome. Are you still playing? Yeah. Yes, I am. I'm. I've just got more and more serious about it. I have a teacher. I in the Ottawa Valley, who's a traditional Ottawa Valley style old time fiddler, and she teaches me weekly by FaceTime. And I love it's. It's just become my folly. I love that. I'm not trying to top you, but I'm relating. Uh, at 45, four years ago, a year before the pandemic, I decided to take breakdance lessons. All right. And, <laughs> and I did it. I did it for like four or five months. I would go once a week. And uh, yeah, I don't really have much rhythm, I found out. But I can do certain things even now that I, I didn't think I could do. So that was fun. I that feel like I should go back and do it. That's insane. So I'll break dance and you fiddle. That would be <laughs> all right. <laughs> that would be a great. That could be a viral video for sure. It's a TikTok. <laughs> Adam, it's been fantastic talking to you. It's been so easy. Yeah, you too, guys. I really appreciate it. And uh, just to to plug my stuff a little bit, you Please know, food. Foodigenous is um, you know an actual website. So I a lot of yes. times I put stuff on Facebook and people love the and like the the picture, but they don't read the story. Right. I have to summon the courage, I think, to write um, and to read my story. You maybe do like a little book on tape. It's only 500, 600 words. So it's super short. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then and maybe that might encourage it. But yeah, I would love everyone to read it. You don't have to love it. But, you know, if you read it, I think that much like the way I felt after Eugene told the story about the, you know, the chicken feet in Hanoi, you're going to want to go to some of these places. and They're yeah. all worth going to. They're all worth, you know, yeah. traveling. I think our listeners are going to want to check out your blog and they're going to really appreciate your writing. I do love all the references you and put we'll, in there. We'll send the tens of people who come to our <laughs> podcast over to your blog. And I'm going to send you 10 or 20 more people. So right. I, <laughs> this, this could blow up, man. Good deal. Thank you so thank much, you. Adam. Yeah. Thank you. And keep in touch. I would love to know more about, you know, if you guys do your food trips or, or candy, when you go to Europe, let me know. I mean, I, I, I've been to Europe a few times too. I'll, I'll give you ideas if you can go. If not, tell me what you ate. Thank you. I will. And um, let's see each other in New again. That's a deal. I like that. Bye guys. Thanks.